Saturday morning. I'm Kim Grinolds with Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Dogman Radio. We are finally about to get the season kicked off. Eight o'clock kickoff time at Husky Stadium with Oregon State. And you guys, when was the last time we played Oregon State where the weather was decent? It always seems like Oregon State is either on Halloween or we have to have bad weather. Can you remember a good weather day for Oregon State? Either one of you? Uh, yeah, I, I remember, if I remember correctly, um, a couple of years ago, they had a really nice night, but that was the one when the fog kind of rolled in or the smoke from the fires down there or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, once the uh, sun goes down, down in Corvallis, when you're inside the stadium and for those who've been to Corvallis for a football game, it's the wood stove smoke. You start smelling the alder from the wood stoves, but, uh, this game is up here. Wild, 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 crazy day on Friday with all of the games um, kind of in question with games being rescheduled. Word is that uh, late Thursday night, sounds like UW was notified that the game might be in jeopardy. And what was it? Probably yesterday, about 4 o'clock, we finally got a little bit of a confirmation that more than likely the game was going to be played, Chris. But we're on pins and needles most of the day for the start on this game. Well, yeah, this is a whole different dynamic than I think everyone has to get used to now on a week-to-week basis. I mean, you know, you hear that the the UCLA-Utah or Utah-UCLA game gets canceled. Um, then Cal, you know, is, is now going to go travel to UCLA and play on Sunday morning. Um, you know, hearing that the, the Oregon State-Washington game could be in jeopardy. Um, you know, you're, we're seeing, you know, information on the plane flight literally leaving Eugene to Seattle. People are tracking it, flight aware, all that stuff. I mean, this is, you, you would think this would be, we'd be talking about a five star recruit, you know, taking a, taking a plane or somewhere because you, you just don't see that kind of tracking, uh, during a regular season because it's just never been that big of a deal. But once, um, they touch down at Boeing Field, the, the Beavers, and I, uh, hopefully they got uh, into their hotel and they got nice and comfy there and didn't talk to anybody because um, I think this is just, again, a reality that we have to face every single week. And I don't know if people understand just how close this was to not happening at all. Uh, Sunday morning game. What is it? UCLA and Cal playing at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. You know, um, I heard somebody say back in – you know, March and April, we were all just, you know, really languishing because there was no sports on TV. And tomorrow you're going to have Pac-10 football starting at nine. You're going to have the Masters starting real early and then the NFL. So you're going to have a lot of options in the morning, which we haven't had in quite some time. But how about that early morning start on a Sunday morning, Scott? Yeah, that's, that is kind of nutty to think about that. But honestly, it gets them in front of the fans before. Uh, football fans before the NFL kicks off at, at 10. So they should be wrapping up their game when the NFL games are right at about halftime. So that actually works out pretty well for, for, uh, the Pac-12 when it, considering the situation that they had to make, make do. Chris, be honest. Are you going to be watching UCLA, uh, Cal or are you going to be watching the Masters? Don't lie. No, I'll, I'll be watching. Uh, I'll be watching the football game because early on for the Masters final round, it's a Masters. Anybody who's watched the Masters for decades and decades understands that it doesn't really hit until you you, you get to number ten, uh, and you're on the back nine on day four. 
on Sunday, that's where it really, really kicks in, obviously. So, yeah, you're going to have some time. You're going to have some time between the football and the golf and all that stuff, which is good. But it's a little disconcerting to go back to the to the football part of it that, you know, you hear Arizona State's in real trouble when it comes to COVID. Obviously, Utah has had some real issues. You know, now we're finding out that the reason they couldn't go to L.A. was because L.A. County wouldn't let them in. Um, now there's been been this directive by the governors of California, Oregon, and Washington that, you know, they're, they're advising people not to travel between the states, or if you do, you have to quarantine. So now everyone's concerned that that might affect the football teams, but we've been assured that it's, it's simply an advisory. It's not set in stone. The football programs for each of the states understand what it's state, what's at stake and how to go about it. They've been doing this the whole time. So, you know, knock on wood, you know, this won't be a problem going forward. The big question going into tonight's game is going to be the quarterback situation. And uh, does anybody really know? We talked a little bit before we got on the podcast that the name I keep on hearing the most is uh, Dylan Morris. And Chris and Scott, I think you're hearing other stuff, which means basically we don't know. What do you, uh, each one of you guys, what are you guys hearing most on the quarterback situation and who do you expect to start? Well, for me, it, I, I had been hearing that it was going to be Dylan Morris. Uh, the problem was Washington's first game of the season was down at Cal against a really good, um, secondary. And, and so what I had been led to believe was that they wanted to start Dylan Morris, but they thought it might just be a little bit too, too much asking him that. F- for his first game as a starter, first rep as a college football, uh, you know, college quarterback was to, you know, go up against that. So that's why Kevin Thompson was likely going to be the starter. Well, now you're at home against Oregon State, a team much less capable of beating you than Cal is. I'm not saying they can't beat him. I'm just saying much less capable. And the, the you're at home, you're in your confines where you practice every day. I, I honestly think it's probably going to be Dylan Morris, but you know, we've heard a lot of different words come out, a lot of different names come out. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think Jimmy Lake is just sitting back and chuckling and listening to everybody try to figure out who it is. I think Lake and all the, the entire team knows who it is. I just don't think he's going to let it out to us. And Chris, who do you think is going to start at quarterback? And what are you hearing? Uh, I'm hearing that Jake Brown is going to come back. Finally, you know, he's going to, he's going to make his long awaited debut, uh, 2020 debut. No, I, I think to be honest with you, I've, I've come at this as soon as I heard how Jimmy was going to approach this the first time we talked to him about it. Um, it's like Lou Reed said, only believe half of what you see and none of what you hear. And so I've taken that approach and we did talk about this before, before recording the pod. Guys, we, he's doing this deliberately. And so anything you've seen out on social media, anything you've seen that's come out, via the interviews that we've done with Jimmy and, and um, John Donovan and anybody that's involved in this quarterback thing, they've done this, they've done this deliberately. They have uh, an understanding of what they're trying to accomplish. And that's basically misdirect the heck out of everybody, including Oregon state. And they legitimately believe because they have a brand new offensive scheme, new quarterback, uh, you know, probably some new skill guys that they want to unleash on the world. Uh, a, a generally speaking, a new offensive line because their, their veterans are playing new positions. You know, there, there's so much unknown 
that they feel they can use that to their advantage. They feel like they can sneak up and, and use that as the element of surprise. We're going to find out at about 8 o'clock tonight if that really is what's going to happen. And so they believe that strongly in it. We got to go along with it, but we've never been able to talk to any of the quarterbacks. I think we, we said we were curious whether or not we're even going to be able to talk to the quarterback that does start tonight after the game. I mean, that may not even be uh, something that we can do. So again, everything's been done with the liberation. Lake is a very, very smart coach. He firmly believes in what he's doing and he's gone in a hundred percent on this. We usually get an idea of starters in pregame warmups. I mean, do you guys really think I'm going to have any? I'm, I'm going to be there. I'll be in the stands. Nobody's allowed on the sidelines. There's a limited amount of people that will be in the stands. Photographers, um, texting with, uh, Elise Woodward this morning. Sounds like she's going to be in the stands at all as well and not on the sidelines. But, uh, you know, it's just like the first practice we were able to go, you know, for the 20 minutes and they had all their quarterbacks lined up and they all did the mirror thing all the same. Do you think there's any point during pregame where I'm going to get an idea of who the starter is, Chris? Well, typically speaking, and just to lay this out a little bit, typically speaking, pregame, for those that have not been to a game in a while, um, you know, they have it where the final things that they do typically, at least this was under Chris Peterson, and I don't expect it to change much under Jimmy Lake, is that they would line up and actually run a couple plays and it would be offense, defense. They would, they would switch up their ones and twos and they would just kind of, but you would generally see who was lining up in the groups. You could see who the star, who the one offensive line was. You could see who the two offensive line was. You could see who was under center. You could see who the wide receiver groups would be, right? Um, I think there's, I, because they've already had these four practice games, quote unquote, I think you may find that they'll, they will probably use everything in their bag to have this mixed misdirection policy going all the way up until game time. Meaning, you know, when they line up to run a play, it might be the number one offensive line, but it might be the number three receivers. It might be the, the number two running back if we, you know, once we actually kind of figure out the puzzle of all this. So yeah, I, I think again, they're all in on this. Philosophy, they, they think they can catch everyone, uh, unaware. And I think it's going to go literally up until they go back into that tunnel. And then once you, once you see them come back out and they line up for real for the first time, it could be completely different than what, uh, people are going to see on the, on the pregame videos. You guys are going to, um, be, uh, working the game, but I'll be there in plenty of time early inside the stadium and I'll be relaying the information fast and furiously as I possibly can to Chris and Scott and you know the game day board is up so you know I'll be taking a look and making all kinds of notes during warm-ups we will keep you guys informed so just make sure and check the game day board early and often we'll be out there well before uh, I should be in the stadium at least an hour and a half before kickoff um, so just make sure that you keep it on the game day board but you know when you talk about the offense Scott you know, everybody's looking at the quarterback, and um, you're expecting any other surprises in the uh, uh, lineup to begin the game with, uh, other than what we've seen. Um, you know, I I think we will see Puka Nakua uh, as the starter at one of the uh, wide receiver spots. Um, I know, um, and you know what, I should have pulled it up in front of me, and I did have it at one point, and I have. Uh, lost it. Um, but uh, who are, who are the projected starters at the three wide receiver spots? Well, I don't think it really matters who starts at wide well, receiver. I understand, know. but but yeah. I'm just saying. I 
I don't think we're going to, I think Kate Otten should tight end. I think that the starting five along the offensive line is going to be your, your starters. Um, I think Kamari Pleasant will get the start as the, uh, as the guy, but, uh, I don't think he even closely resembles the, uh, you know, he will not be the, the, uh, number one ball carrier for the Huskies. I think, I think you're going to see either Cam Davis or Richard Newton with that distinction with the most carries in the game, most touches. And, um, you know, maybe on the defensive side, I wouldn't be surprised to see Cam Williams, uh, play over, uh, Alex Cook. The fact that, um, if I remember correctly, Brandon, uh, McKinney wasn't even in the, uh, wasn't no, even was. in, in the two deeps. So, yeah. and I, that shocked me a little bit. Um, so, you know, we'll just have to, we'll just have to kind of see, but other than that, you know, I, I think the, the other than you know, like Alex Cook, Kamari Pleasant, those were a couple surprises, but I think for the most part, I think we've all had a pretty good idea about what the starting lineups are going to look like. And, and they've kind of played out that way. Hey, Scott, one of the things I wanted to address with you, one of the guys who was not listed in the two deeps was a guy, um, it was tight end, Devin Culp. Now with them taking Caden Jumper, um, for the next recruiting class, you know, we've heard that they want to use him kind of as that H back fullback, um, spot. Is that maybe what's happening with Devin Culp by not having him listed? He could be that fullback, H-back, where they just don't even list the position on the roster, but it's part of the offense? Absolutely. Absolutely. I wouldn't put anything past these guys on on disguising what they want to do as far as their offense is concerned. So Devin Culp is a talented guy. We've seen a couple videos of him making some catches and and, uh, everything. I think he's going to be very involved. I think the... I think the coaches would like to figure out a way to get him on the field. So, um, you know, he's got a lot of athleticism, a lot to offer you and, and, uh, we just, he just needs to get the reps. And I think this is his chance. And Chris, like I said, you know, who starts it running back and the wide receivers? A lot of it just depends on the package they're running and the plays that they want to run. They'll shift in different guys. And I know I've said this a hundred times. I remember a few years ago, Max Richmond started the game. Was he really a starter? No, I mean, he probably played five plays, but he was in there for the opening play. But uh, other than, you know, running back, wide receivers, maybe tight end along that offensive line, you expecting any any surprises along the offensive line? No, no, I think that that starting five has been their first unit for quite a while now. I mean, you've got Jackson Kirkland, Vic Kern at the tackles. You've got uh, MJ Ali, Ulamu Ali, and um, Henry Bainavali with the guards, and Luke Wattenberg at center. I think that's been, ironically enough, I think that's been the one that's kind of been set in stone compared to all these skill things. Because I think, you know, they can, like, as you said, they can certainly move the skill guys around. They, you know... Even if a guy starts, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a featured part of the offense. So there's, there's all sorts of mixing and matching when it comes to the skill guys. Again, it's going to depend on how heavy they go, you know, how many tight ends they're going to use, for instance. So yeah, I mean, again, so many unknowns with this offense. All we know is that it's supposedly a pro style predicated on a heavy downhill run game using their size because this is the biggest offensive line arguably in Husky history. And um, and they, they want to use those big bodies to wear these guys down so that in the third and fourth quarter, Oregon State's feeling pretty demoralized and they can pretty much control the control the clock and control the game. And over on the defensive side of the ball, I think there's a handful of guys that are going to see 
um, a majority, you know, 90% of the reps and, um, Keith Taylor, Elijah Molden, Trent McDuffie, but, and Eddie Ulifosio, but who are some of the other guys over on the defensive side of the ball that we may not have seen, uh, a lot of playing time for that could really step up and see a lot of reps? Well, I was going to say they, you know, first of all, losing Levi Onzerike and Joe Tron is going to be huge. I'm, I'm really curious to see how they make up for those guys' absence. Obviously, Zion Tupola Fatui is a guy that, that I think they're going to rely on. Um, Leatu Latu, for sure, is, is going to try to make that jump from year one to year two. Usually, that's the biggest jump that you make in a college career in terms of progression, in terms of understanding the system and playing fast and loose. And then, obviously, Savelle Smalls in that front seven. Everyone's really curious to see how the former five-star from Kennedy Catholic is going to do. Um, you know, all the defensive coaches, whether it's Coach K or or Coach Malloy or any of those guys involved, they've been very high in Savelle so far. Um, I think they've been cautiously optimistic, saying, you know, obviously he's got a lot to learn, and and he hasn't really had the benefit of a of a of a full you know kind of accounting of what they would normally be doing, you know, in a normal season. But they they feel really good about where he's at, and so I fully expect he's going to play tonight. And then I kind of echo what Scott said in terms of the defensive backs. Seeing Alex Cook there wasn't necessarily a huge surprise, but it is a little surprising that they haven't still kind of gone with that combination of Asa Turner and Cameron Williams because they were so good last year together, uh, kind of paired. So you kind of assumed that that was going to be a pairing that would have some some uh, lasting power, you know, some staying power. So. We'll see how that works out, but the rest of it kind of shakes itself out in terms of Elijah Molden's going to be your nickel. You got Trent McDuffie, Keith Taylor as your corners. Kyler Gordon is the X factor here. I don't know how you leave that guy out of the starting lineup, frankly, but you got you got to find a place for him as well. And I think that's going to be one of the key questions that hopefully gets answered early. Well, that's one of the you know big questions is how do you find a place for Kyler Gordon on the field with the talent that they've got there? Is he going to sub in for Trent McDuffie? Is he going to be that uh, fourth corner? It, you know, they've got so much talent there. That's why it's going to be real interesting to take a look at the rotations on the defensive side of the ball and see how many snaps they do get from a guy like uh, Cam Williams, a guy like Brandon McKinney. And there's just so many... Um, so many guys out there. And the other thing is, I mean, you just think of uh, how Jimmy's thinking in his head because, you know, previously you had a smaller roster to deal with because you were redshirting guys. Eligibility's on pause. They can play these freshmen. They can get them in later in the game. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if the game is well in hand, you know, in the fourth quarter, if we see some of the uh, first year guys and guys a little bit further down the depth chart get some more time on this. But, um, hey, Scott, when it comes to the freshmen, you know, that uh, first year players, anybody that you expect to see the field? Oh, absolutely. Savelle Smalls. I mean, I, I've heard nothing but good things about Savelle Smalls, um, what he's done, what he's been able to come and do. I don't think we're going to see him for a ton of snaps, maybe. I don't know, 10, 15 at the most, but he's going to have an impact or have at least a chance to have an impact offensively. I I don't know how many guys other than maybe Jalen McMillan and Roma O'Dunzi um, on that side of the ball, but you know, they've been talking about Mark Redmond and how, how well he's played. So that's kind of my guys right there. 
And Chris, I think one of the interesting things to really keep an eye on is special teams on that kickoff return team and on the kickoff team. That could be a place where we could see a lot of young guys. Well, you know, they have Sean McGrew or Kyler Gordon listed as a kickoff return, which makes sense. And then they have Trent McDuffie as their punt returner as well. So the return game is going to be an X factor too. I think they've got an opportunity to, to bring up some new guys because last year it was Aaron Fuller. He had a touchdown, but before that it was Dante Pettis and we all know how good Dante Pettis was. So, you know, this is an opportunity for a guy like a, maybe a Trent McDuffie to make an impact also as a special teamer and, and, and create some real explosive plays for them in that particular uh, phase of the game. It's interesting though, going back to the DBs and trying to figure out some of these new guys that might play. I mean, they've got a ton of new guys at DB. You talk about Mikel Esteen, you talk about Elijah Jackson, James Smith, you talk about um, Jacoby Covington. You know, these are all true freshmen, but yet we haven't even talked about Julius Irvin. We haven't even talked about Dom Hampton, who's now 215, 220. We haven't talked about Cam Fabiculanen. Um, you know, there's so many guys in that defensive backfield. It's absolutely sick. And it's such a great problem for uh, Will Harris and Terrence Brown to try to figure out a way to get all those guys on the field. Because uh, those guys, I think, are going to make it headaches for those coaches to try to figure out uh, who gets the playing time and who's earned it. Well, do you remember last year we were looking at uh, a guy? We, we were going, okay, who's that? And he just kind of broke out one game. Eddie Ulifoscio, uh did it on special team. But was it two uh, was it two fumbles caused or two fumble recoveries from Well, against Ed- Oregon State two years ago. He, yeah. he, he was the guy that, that – his first time out as a special teamer, and he forced a fumble right off the bat. And I want to say he did it again the very next kickoff. Um, yeah, so th- those guys can happen, and, and there's going to be plenty of opportunities for those guys to to make impacts. And, and you just mentioned the, the linebackers real quick. Obviously, they're they're trying to replace uh, Brandon Wellington and Kyler Manu, the the two seniors. Well, Ulafoscio made a real name for himself at the end of last year. Uh, Jackson Sermon was kind of a steady Eddie the whole year long. MJ Tafisi was coming along really strong until he got hurt at Arizona. It's going to be real interesting to see where he fits in now, uh, that he's 100% back to health. And then Alfonso Tupatala is the only true freshman last year that played four games. So he's listed in the two deeps. But what about Daniel Hamuli? What about Mickey Ayu? What about Josh Calvert? There's so many young linebackers that are begging for playing time, and it's going to be interesting to see who really emerged out of the pack during fall camp. Because, again, as you stated at the very beginning, Kim, we, we got 20 minutes a week to, to watch them stretch. Didn't, we, we literally have no idea other than what the coaches and the players would tell us, and they clearly uh, aren't telling us anything about what's going on. So this is – it's kind of scary, but usually we would have a pretty good feel for these things. But we're going to be just as interested as the fans are, generally speaking, of how these kids are going to do because – we have not been able to see him, literally. Literally. No. <laughs> hey, uh, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and when we return, we'll dive into the Oregon State uh, game, what to expect from uh, Oregon State as well as we'll touch bases on recruiting as well, a couple little tidbits on that when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com. I'm Kim Grenolds, Chris Fetters, and Scott Eklund on Dogman Radio. Welcome back Saturday morning on Dogman Radio. I'm Kim Grenolds with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Oregon State game kickoff at 8 p.m. tonight for those out of town. I think it's about an 80, 90 percent chance of rain at kickoff is what's in the forecast right now down on the lake and temperatures in the low 40s. So 
Um, it'll be cold, so uh, I will be there early again uh, in the stadium about an hour and a half beforehand, and we'll have plenty of updates on the game day board. Make sure to check that out. But, Scott, with this Oregon State game coming on, um, unknown quarterback, a guy that Washington actually recruited and uh, I had an offer to, but we're used to seeing Jake Luton back there the past couple of years. But, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about Tristan Gebbia. Yeah, uh, Tristan is a, is a guy from, I, I think he was down, was he down at Calabasas? I believe that's right. Is that where he came out of? Yeah. Cause he was there with, uh, Keyshawn Johnson Jr. and a couple other guys that were really good, uh, wide receivers. And Washington brought him up, uh, at, to their camp. They had already offered him. And everything that I was made aware of was he tried to commit on his, uh, trip up here. And Jonathan Smith was like, yeah, no, we're good. We're, we're just going to take our time and make sure. So we're going to keep recruiting you, but, uh, we're not ready to take a commitment from you yet. And from what I heard, they just didn't like his command of, of the huddle. They didn't like where, um, how he, how he fit in the throws he could make. They, they just didn't feel comfortable with him. And so they moved on. Now they ended up, I think that was Jake Hanner's class. Is that correct? I think it was. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, so they, they landed on Jake Hayner later on, which kind of made no sense because – but he was maybe a little bit better of a leader in, in their minds and, and maybe fit a little bit more into who Jonathan Smith was. Maybe he felt a little more comfortable with him. I don't know what it was. But anyway, Tristan Jebbia ends up at Nebraska. Well, then he spends, what, a year and a half there and then ends up at Oregon Redshirts last year and the transfer rule, and now he'll have, what, three years, I think, to play, and and uh, good pickup for them, you know. It's going to be real interesting to see um, what he's able to do because he's a, he's a talented kid. I just don't think he really fit what Washington wanted to do, but Oregon State needed some – needed a boost in the talent there and at that quarterback spot, and he was – he's the guy that they decided to – bring in and I think that's because Jonathan Smith already had a decent relationship with the kid and and said hey let's let's bring you in and get you get you going and he's listed as 62 um 201 pounds he's a red shirt junior on the roster but Chris when we're talking about quarterbacks for Oregon State the former um was he from Camas Jack Coletto yeah yeah Jack, Col- Jack Coletto, Jack, Jack Coletto uh, was a quarterback for a while and now he's being listed as a starter at linebacker, and he comes in occasionally and uh, runs uh, runs a few plays here and there, which is kind of interesting. Um, I'm sure you remember Jack. Yeah, for sure. No, really, really, really good, versatile player, and I'm not surprised that Jonathan Smith is uh, taking advantage of that versatility. I mean, very, very smart kid. Um, but what's interesting is is that, yeah, he's, he, he hasn't thrown a pass yet, and uh, at least this year. But he had two carries for five yards against Washington State. Um, I, you know, I know you probably want to jump to Jermar Jefferson when it comes to their running game, but I find it very interesting to see what they're going to do now because BJ Baylor is typically their, their backup running back. But between the, the two of them, Coletto and Baylor, they only had three other carries, whereas Jermar Jefferson had 21 against the Cougars. So Washington, you know, they did not get a chance to see anybody pretty much but Jermar Jefferson. Uh, when they're looking at that game tape of, uh, of their game against Washington State. So I'll be curious to see if they use Coletto more and more, but he certainly lo- does look more like that third down, fourth down, short yardage, goal line, that kind of thing. 
And Scott, when you take, you know, getting back over to the, um, you know, talking about the quarterback, the weapons that they have to use, they don't have a wide receiver that's over six foot. I mean, they're small. They're starting a guy in Champ Fleming that's five, five, 140 pounds. And yeah, he's quick and he's shifty, but boy, their wide receivers are just not very big. Yeah. I mean, you've got, uh, Trayvon Bradford, who's six foot 182. Um, Colby Taylor is 5'11", 210. And, uh, um, the one guy that, uh, yeah, Tyjon Lindsay is the other guy, 5'9", 182. That's a guy that was dynamic as a, as a kid coming out of high school. And he went to, um, Nebraska along with Jebbia, cause I think they were teammates and, uh, ended up at Oregon State and then Jebbia followed him. So, um, that's a guy who could be lightning in a bottle that a lot of people thought would be really, really special at the collegiate level. He, it hasn't really panned out that way for him, but yeah, Kim, you're right. The, the, this is not a big wide receiver group. Who was their big wide receiver from last year? He was committed to Washington State, came over and had two really good years and has since moved on. And uh, I think he got – did he get drafted this past year? Was it Hodgkins? You guys remember who I'm talking about? Hodgkins, right? Isaiah Hodgkins, right? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he's – he is a – he's a – he was a really good receiver. And he and Luton had that really good um, – uh, you know, uh, combination that they, that they had going. And when Luton left, you know, that, that's when he decided to, to leave. And, and, um, I, I think that if they had had him, he would be one of the top receivers in the conference and probably, uh, uh, you know, a preseason, um, a preseason all pack 12 guy. But, uh, without him, they don't, like you said, Kim, do not have a lot of size. And Chris, they've got one of the elite running backs in the conference in Jamar Jefferson, but you take a look at their offensive line. Their biggest guy is 304 pounds. He's the only guy listed at over 300 pounds. Not big. They're not big, but, you know, again, when you look at the statistics for their, for their game when they played Washington State, Jebbia threw the ball 48 times. And so if, if, if Jonathan Smith is predicating this offense a little bit more on the pass, because their their run pass ratio was was nearly like fifty to twenty, um, you know when you look at their total plays because they ran eighty plays, but they had you know almost fifty of them were passes, so you know fifty thirty mix okay, um, you would expect that they probably would want their linemen to maybe be a little bit on the lighter side so that they can handle more pass pro, you know have lighter feet be able to move a little bit better, um, and that's not to say if you look at Washington's Guys who are averaging, you know, probably 320, 330, except for, ironically enough, Jackson Kirkland, who shed about 20, 25 pounds in the offseason. You know, it's not to say that those guys can't move either, but you certainly see the difference in philosophy in terms of how their offensive lines are going to be run. And again, if you're going to throw the ball that much, you're going to need to have guys that can get back and set. And uh, when you look at that lineup, especially you got guys that, you know, they have 275 at right guard, 282 at center, 289 at left tackle. Uh, but more than anything, you know, you've got a couple of the seniors inside, but you've got also a couple of young guys that they're, that they're working in as well. I mean, Josh Gray, their left tackles, Richard freshman. So they're, they're, you know, they're mixing in some young guys just like Washington is too. 
And that's one of the things that we, you know, should touch on with Joe Tryon uh, not playing this year. They're going to be looking at Savelle Smalls and Liatu Latu and Ryan Bowman coming off that side and that left side of the offensive line for Oregon State. Josh Gray, he's a redshirt freshman, 6'4", 280, um, 299. And then um, Jake Levengood, a redshirt sophomore, 6'4", uh, 295. So it's not that they have the size over there or the experience. So, you know, keeping an eye on that left side of the offensive line and seeing the pressure come from the Washington, you know, Bucks and their defensive ends, I think that could be a key to the game is the blind side. So, um, again, that's one thing to keep an eye on. One thing I was going to add, Kim, is that if you look at the stats again from the Washington State game, Washington State got four sacks against Javia. So we don't know. I mean, I have to go back and look at the tape, obviously, to see if that's a factor of him or if it's a factor of the line breaking down. But the the idea is the numbers are there to be had if Washington wants to get aggressive. And we've seen Lake and Coach K in the past dialing up things where they'll bring the nickel, for instance. I mean, Miles Bryant came all the time. Um, you know, they'll, they might bring pressures from different edges and, and, and really try to confuse Jebby and, and, and get him looking the wrong way. So this is an opportunity Washington has to, to really get after a guy like him early because as, as, if for anybody that saw that Oregon State or that Washington State Oregon State game, they saw Jebby get very confident. Uh, once he got a little bit of momentum in the second half and they really started to, to, to play well on the offensive side of the ball for the Beavers. They scored, outscored Washington State 14 to 10 in the fourth quarter. And clearly that's something you don't want to have happen if you're Washington. You want to get them out of the game, you know, presumably as soon as you can, as soon as you can. And looking at Jamar Jefferson, he's 5'10", 217 pounds, which is ideal size for a power back, low to the ground and uh, built solid. But I don't think there's any question about it. He's going to be the workhorse and expect him to get a lot of carries tonight, especially in the cold, wet, the rain. Absolutely. And he was, you know, he had, again, 21 carries, 120 yards. So he was averaging 5.7 yards a carry, but he only had a long of 18 yards. So he is going to plug. And, and again, when you get next to that goal line, he's going to score. He scored three touchdowns. So he is the guy that they're going to have to key on. They, they certainly have to look for him in certain situations. But again, how much is Jonathan Smith almost predicating on this offense for Oregon State being run, uh, passed to set up the run? You know, much like an air raid system would do. Um, you know, where they can run those traps and those draws and those things, those delays, where all of a sudden now you've got things spread out a little bit defensively and he can pick the holes and he can get six, seven, eight yards a crack. I think ideally that's what Oregon State would love to do to mix the run in with what they're trying to get uh, get accomplished in the passing game. One thing one thing I wanted to add, too, and I should have added this when we were talking about Jebbia and the wide receivers, they they only had one pass. They had two passes over 25 yards last week. One was for 27. One was for 29. They they did not get enough explosive plays out of their passing game when they were going up against Washington State, which you know really isn't known for having a great secondary. So they're going to try and get that ball. They're going to try and get that ball pushed down the field. And and I I think that's where Washington has a chance to really make make some hay, maybe even get one or two picks on picks on the night and set up their offense in better field position than they might have had. The only other thing I would add on this too, guys, is that it'll be very I'll be very curious to see how 50-50 
Jonathan Smith is going to try to be right out of the gate because a lot of these numbers can be inflated because they're behind and they were way behind at one point. I don't remember if they were behind. I don't know. What was it? Was it 28 seven maybe? Or yeah. 20? Yeah. He scored I mean, they that were behind long touchdown by a on this. Yeah. He scored that long touchdown on the, on the opening drive, I think of the second half. Right. So they had to open up, you know, open up the offense to a certain extent. Um, so I'll be curious to see how much of this, the numbers that we saw against Washington State were predicated on the situation that they found themselves in and how much of it is, hey, we think Jebbia is more effective as a passer and we need to get him started as opposed to, wow, we've got one of the best running backs in the league in Jamar Jefferson. we got to get him going first and then we can run everything off of him. When you take a look at what Washington is going to do against Oregon State's uh, defense, we're expecting a pro-style offense, and with the, what Oregon State is running defensively, they don't have a lot of size on the interior of the defensive line. A lot of the time, they're only running two interior linemen, um, you know, and running extra linebackers and extra defensive backs. And with an inexperienced quarterback that Washington is going to put out there, a small defensive line, inexperienced defensive line, this is why I'm expecting a heavy, heavy run game from Washington uh, early. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. it's interesting because you look at Washington's defense just to compare. I think there's some, some, some similarities that you can make between their front and Washington's front in terms of how they want to approach it. Cause Washington will run just a lot of, of two defensive linemen in there in the middle as well. But you're looking at Washington's defensive linemen and there is no defensive lineman that's listed under 300 pounds. Whereas the defensive linemen that are listed for Oregon State, you're looking at 290, 296. But then you're mostly looking at 278, 269, 265, 268. Um, you know, so that they clearly there's a, there's a little philosophy difference there in terms of they're not getting big, but they will be quick inside, and it will be really interesting to see how that match, matches up against an offensive line in Washington that simply looks, if you go by the sizes on that depth chart, they want to go ahead and just overpower you. And they just want to take it to you so they can create a downhill running game with their stable of backs. And Scott, one of the interesting positions is, you know, uh, Andres Hughes Murray was a linebacker out of Federal Way High School. And those who follow recruiting really wanted Washington to offer him. He's been a team captain at Oregon State. He was injured quite a bit last year, but he's listed as an or, not as a starter, uh, being a team captain. But the guy who's listed also as an or with him is Addison Gums. And that was a guy that was recruited hard by Washington at one point. Yes, uh, and then he showed up at camp with no shoes and and did not want to work out. And Washington said, yep, that's not the kind of guy we need in our program. So didn't end up uh, taking him. He came from a small uh, private school down there. Um, I think didn't he eventually uh, originally go to uh, Oklahoma? I, I thought think so, yeah. Yeah, he went to Oklahoma and then uh, has transferred back. You know, he's a guy who I, I think – is a really good athlete, uh, but might not be the greatest football player, uh, if that makes sense. So, um, obviously he's pushed his way into the starting lineup. Andre Hughes Murray is a really talented guy. The problem about him is he just doesn't have a lot of the lateral quickness that you're looking for. So he's not elite. He's good. He's not elite. And Washington's got the kind of guys who can really hurt you in space. So. We'll have to see. I think Addison Gum's uh, best traits, at least coming out of high school, was his pass rush. 
and I don't know how much uh, Oregon likes to rush their their linebackers compared to what Washington does, but I will I do think they they like their outside guys, their outside linebackers to be their pass rushers. Chris, put yourself up on the 50-yard line, about 30 rows up, watching this Washington offense. We don't know a lot other than a pro-style offense. You know, tell me what it's going to look like. What are you What are you expecting? <laughs> I don't know. I thought you were going to ask me about the rest of the Oregon State linebackers because they have a. I mean, I think they have arguably one of the best linebacking groups in the Pac-12. When you look at Avery Roberts, Omar Spates, and Hamilcar Rashid, Hamilcar Rashid is just he's he's an All-American. I mean, he is phenomenal, and it was impressive how Washington State was able to kind of neutralize him mostly. I mean, they were able to to kind of take him a little bit out of his game, which was very impressive. And I think that's going to be a huge key for Washington's offense. And I don't know if that means going straight at him and using that, you know, kind of that that style and that kind of aggression and just pound on him, pound on him, pound on him until eventually they submit. That could be one way they do it. Um, you know, but given it's, it's, it's pro style from what we know, I mean, Jimmy Lake was adamant, even – as far back as I don't, I don't remember. We'd have to even go back to when he was first hired with the press conference with Chris Peterson and Jen Cohen, if he was talking about that kind of an offense where he he really, really is wedded to this idea of of going into the NFL and getting something like that um, because he feels like it's the hardest thing to defend. That's that I think was his biggest thing was that he wanted to look for an offense that he had trouble going up against and 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 i guess by common sense or by logic by extension he thinks that that would be the kind of offense that would cause havoc with a lot of other defenses in the Pac-12 so again from what we know power run game using that size up front using a lot of the tight ends um you know maybe even involving the running backs a little bit in the passing game more than we've seen before and then also trying to use some play action out of that run game to go deep, take shots vertically, and be aggressive down the field. These are all things that we've been told. These are all things that that make sense to us based on the research that we've done, uh, trying to look at what John Donovan's record was uh, when he was at Penn State and also at Vanderbilt. And, um, you know, we just kind of go from there. But, again, 8 o'clock tonight, Fox Sports 1, KJR. We'll, we'll all find out eventually. And Scott, when you take a look at the end of the game statistics after the game tonight, Washington's probably going to run somewhere 65, 70 plays. Um, more than likely that'll be, uh, the, the number, but, uh, break that down. How many runs, how many passes are we going to see tonight? What would your best guess be? Uh, best guess would be as long as they, they are leading, I think you're going to see like, uh, Probably somewhere in the realm of 35 to 40 runs and, um, somewhere between 20 and 30 passes, somewhere in that, that realm. I, I'd be shocked if Washington threw the ball more than 30 times in this game. And I'd be surprised if they didn't run it at least 30 times, if not more, uh, in this game. I think Washington wants to ground and pound. I think they want to, uh, help ease in whoever the starting quarterback is going to be, whether it's Jacob Sermon, Kevin Thompson or Dylan Morris or even Ethan Garbers, who we haven't heard a thing about. So, um, you know, I, I think they want to, they want to be able to, um, help these guys uh, as much as possible. And, and the, the, uh, be, the best friend of a, of a quarterback, especially a young quarterback is a really good running game. 
Chris, my over under a number of passes we're going to see tonight by Washington quarterbacks is probably 25. What are you taking the over or the under on that? Um, again, I think, you know, as we saw with the Washington State Oregon State game, a lot of it could be on situation. Um, if you had asked Jonathan Smith, would you have been okay, uh, throwing the ball 49, 50 times, uh, in the game? He probably would have looked at you funny because I don't think that that's what he wanted to, probably wanted to do at all. Um, truthfully, I think percentage wise, I could see them kind of going 60, 40 run pass. I, I think would maybe be an ideal. Um, but again, I'm always reminded of these, of these weird quirks where, um, going back to the 91 season and Billy Joe Hobart was going to be the quarterback and he was untested. And Don James famously said, you know, we just, we just treated it as if he'd always been there and that he had always been the starter. And we just kind of rolled with it. Like, like we didn't need to ease him in. Like he was just the guy and that's, we were going to do what we were going to do and we weren't going to alter anything because of, of, of the fact that he hadn't played or hadn't started. And I kind of wonder if Jimmy Lake has the same philosophy because I think that he feels much like Chris Peterson in the next man up philosophy. You just, Hey, it doesn't matter. Whoever the quarterback's going to be, we're running this offense. This is what we do. We've, we've prepared you guys to, to be the guy and we'll see what happens. So I, I wonder if running the ball isn't going to be so much, um, to, to ease the quarterback in as it is just going to be a general function of their attack and how they want to approach these, uh, these games from an offensive philosophy. I mean, that's just, that's why tonight is so intriguing because there's so many questions left unanswered. I'm still getting texts while we're doing this about the starting quarterback. (laughs) It's kind of funny, you know, just nobody knows, but uh, you know, uh, again, I'll be in the stadium early, probably an hour and a half at least before kickoff and I'll be getting updates to you guys. So make sure and check out the game day board and uh, we'll get you guys as many updates and warm up videos and uh, who's suited up, who's not. We'll be getting all that to you as soon as we can. So make sure and touch bases and look early and often on the game day board. But Scott, um, before we wrap this up, we want to touch bases on recruiting, not a lot going on, but uh, maybe just give us a little bit of an update on recruiting. Well, the biggest thing is, is that uh, Brandon Huffman put out a story on, uh, I think it was 10 questions regarding JT Tui Malau and, and his uh, recruitment. Um, and it, it, it kind of echoes what we've been saying for a while that Washington was really going to struggle to keep, keep him at home. And it doesn't really sound like that has changed. Now, granted, this is Brandon Huffman's interpretation of things. It wasn't anything that JT Tumalau had answered any questions like directly or had quotes from, but uh, trust me, if, if anyone outside of the Tumalau family knows what's going on, it's Brandon Huffman He's very close with that family. He's He's been on the inside. He's one of the few people who actually talk to the kid on a regular basis. Um, if Brandon Huffman doesn't feel good about Washington's chances, you should. You probably shouldn't feel good about Washington's chances. So um, as far as JT2 Malau, it's not over till it's over, but uh, that fat lady is warming up big time. So um, as far as the rest of uh, recruiting, like you said, Kim, kind of quiet. Um, going to be quiet at least on the visit front until at least uh, April 15th of next year. And, um, you know, it's it's frustrating. Um, I think maybe this is a bit of an early call, but maybe they needed to do this because 
They wanted to, um, you know, schools want to know what they should be budgeting for and things like that. But uh, a little frustrated they made this call. I thought they should have waited till maybe January or February to make this call. It, it says it, but uh, I'm hopeful that Washington will be able to get some kids up for visits. They, it's April 15th, so think about it. Let's say that holds true and they, they keep it all the way through the 15th. What was the big recruiting weekend that Washington was planning on earlier this this year? It was going to be the spring game, and Jimmy Lake was planning to have 20, 30 of their top guys on campus and, and uh, you know, having barbecues and doing all those things for those kids while they're on campus and everything like that, and they didn't get to do it. Well, now, if if things play out and they, they, they let us – you know, let the kids take visits and, and let people like me report on it, then, you know, Washington could have a big recruiting weekend at the end of April like they planned this year, but have it next year. So um should be interesting to see how, how that all kind of plays out. But that's really the news on the recruiting front. Not a lot else new. Um, talked to a couple guys, and, and those stories have gone up. But for the most part, Washington has turned their focus to 2022-2023 other than Emeka Egbuka, JT Malau, and to a small extent Logan Fano, the defensive end prospect out of Utah, who's a mission guy, doesn't really wouldn't really count toward the 2021 class. Chris, before we wrap this up, uh just uh last minute thoughts. Just excited, obviously, as everyone else would be. Just um again, just Riding the roller coaster of, of how these things are going to go week to week. Um, not knowing, I mean, I think we all feel very comfortable with how Washington has kind of done their situation in terms of the coronavirus and, and tracing and testing and all that stuff and taking it seriously and from the top on down. Um, it's just the other teams. It just feels weird. Um, how you can go feeling, okay, no problems, no problems. Then you get to Thursday, Friday, and now all of a sudden it's like, oh, there could be big problems. And we honestly don't even know. It could be kickoff. And we found out post-game, uh, the Washington State-Oregon State game, Nick Rolovich said they were without 32 players. We could we could find out post-game tonight that Washington was without a dozen players or Oregon State was without a dozen players because we do know Oregon State had – uh, at least one or two positive tests, or we don't know how that, you know, how that's going to manifest itself in terms of affecting their lineup. And we have to understand, not just as media, but the fans have to understand too, this is something that everyone's going to have to deal with on a weekly basis. And I think it's, it adds a lot of drama, it adds a lot of excitement, but also adds a lot of anxiety into what's going on. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys saw, and I don't think you did, but when I put up the predictions Friday morning, I had accidentally left it with California, with the game day prediction saying California. And then all of a sudden we found out two hours later, there was a chance Washington might be playing California this weekend. So it was almost like, well, we're recycling things. We had things in the hopper for the Cal game that we never broke out. Were we gonna, were we gonna have to reschedule and rejig, you know, rejig things to make it all work? I mean, this is just a fact of life in 2020, but, what I'm excited to see is obviously the kickoff, um, but I'm also excited to see uh, KJR's coverage, for instance. The fact that you don't have to change your channel from KJR on the radio to go to, like, Como, for instance. It's all seamless. you got three hours of Softy and, and his crew with the honks and all that leading right up to Tony. 
and, and his pregame, and then you've got the game, and it's all on the same channel. It's going to be awesome. So really looking forward to all that and uh, obviously seeing how things play out because um, this has just been an incredibly wacky year, and the fact that football is being played at all is unreal and so grateful that uh, we're going to get a chance to see it happen tonight. Scott Eklund. Um, you know, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing, you know, what the big hubbub was about. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm with everybody else just kind of jazzed to kind of see them actually play a game and see where things go. I, I, I'm excited to see, uh, Jimmy Lake as the head coach at the University of Washington. This is something, this has kind of been a long time coming for him and, and, uh, it's going to be weird seeing him on the sideline being the head coach rather than, kind of get being very animated like he was as the defensive coordinator. So, um, and, and no one in Husky stadium. I mean, when was the last time a game was played with hardly anyone in the stands? I mean, it's, it's just, wow. It's, it's surreal, but, uh, just glad, like you Fetter said, just glad we get to actually cover it and, and have something to talk about besides what everybody is, is, you know, where we actually have a game to talk about rather than, saying, oh, well, this could happen or that could happen. I'm I'm tired of all that. And as much as the players are Jones and just to get this thing underway, because it's what they do, they play football. We've been just kind of, you know, like horses waiting to get in the starting gate as well, because this is what we do. And, uh, you know, we haven't been able to cover practice for a long time or a game for a long time. So, you know, uh, we're just anxious to get this thing started as well. And nobody's going to have it covered as in-depth as the guys at dogman.com. So make sure and check often. Tell your friends this is where everything's going to be. Uh, looking forward to the game tonight. Um, like I said, cold, wet, went, cold, wet, windy at Husky Stadium, as it should be for a game in November. And uh, I, th- I just think Washington's got just way too much talent on the board, even though Oregon State might have a little bit of an advantage as they play it again. Uh, I just think that the um, strength of Washington with their offensive line and their defense is just going to be too much for Oregon State to handle. I think that, uh, you know, talent in the end is going to win out. I don't expect this to be a close game. I expect Washington, you know, somewhere in the middle of the third quarter to have worn Oregon State down and uh, have imposed their will on them. So uh, I'm expecting uh, Washington with an easy win tonight. And it's going to be a long night and we'll be working till early in the morning so make sure and stay tuned and check us out and if you're looking for those daily updates as well as breaking news alerts just make sure and check out dog uh, send us a note uh, husky stadium at gmail.com subject line newsletter we will get you hooked up again husky stadium at gmail.com subject line newsletter we will get you hooked up and uh, we'll be back later tonight after the game post game podcast make sure and tune in it's the guys from dogman.com on Dogman Radio.